right. Man, there's something about waking up and already being together, isn't there? I don't know um, where many of you are at with family life, but I've got like 12 nieces and nephews right now, and it's hard to spend time, quality time with, with your family, especially if it's that big, and it's always the the times when you're spending the night somewhere, you're out at a lodge or a cabin or a, or just everyone's cramped in the one space, you spend the night and you wake up the next morning. That's always the best. So I'm glad that we were all able to do that today and, and get to do it again tomorrow. So um, if you have a Bible, turn it to Psalm 23. If you don't, that's okay. I mean, it's like the one chapter that everyone on earth has memorized. So it's probably the best one that you could have forgot your Bible for. But um, before we get into that, I just want to just reflect on last night and just the the word that was spoken and the the songs even that were sung and just the setting that we're in. Um it just continued the work that God's been doing me of showing him how, how much it's all by grace. And that, you know, like Justin said, that Jesus doesn't just save generic sinners in the world. He saves sinners like me. And he wants to use his transformation of me to transform others who are like me in their sin. And, man, that's just so... It just kills pride, you know, it just kills it. It's like, no, you're a sinner just like everyone else, and it's so good. It's My struggles aren't, they're not inside the church struggles, you know, they're human struggles. They're, I have human sins, and God wants to publicly display his grace through me, through what he's doing in me, so that was really good. Um so Psalm 23, it's a good one, and we all know it, and we get to read it and dwell on it today. What better place to do it than in a place like this? It's been a comfort to so many people over the, the last thousands of years. You know, it's certain elements of it are a comfort to those who are facing death, who are facing, you know, ultimate uh, trial and uh, at least the people on board the Titanic were comforted by it. If some of you remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> if the movie is at all accurate. but <laughs> And Jack's like, excuse me, excuse me, i got to get through. Um, but it's been a deep comfort to me, um, especially as a person who's, like you would say, main sin is as is anxiousness and worry um someone seeking peace someone seeking rest for their souls um so before we jump right into psalm 23 i just want to observe for a minute how the bible deals with anxiousness and it'll spill over into everything else but and to i just want to clarify that i'm not just for those who would get distracted by 
you know, the difference between anxiety as a clinical, you know, um, diagnosis and anxiety and anxiousness as a sin. And obviously those lines are blurred in many cases. Um, but for, for me, it's, it's an issue of a, a mistrust of God, right? What does God have your best interest in mind? Um, and with anxiousness and with worry, it's one of those things that you can't just not, you can't just stop doing, right? You can't just go, all right, I'm anxious. I'm not anxious. And the same thing with seeking peace. You can't just have peace. You have to have a reason. You know, there has to be something that is giving you peace. And so to deal with anxiety, to deal with worry, to deal with these things, you can't look at those things. You have to move and look at who God is because he's the only one who's going to rightly deal with your worry and give you peace. Um, so just quick, quick thing. Two other passages that the Bible um, deals with anxiety in are, uh, many of us know them well, the Matthew 6 passage where Jesus s- says, do not worry about your life, you know, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Um, you know, the, the lilies of the field don't worry about this. The birds of the air don't worry about this. And the key there is why. Why not? And he says, your heavenly father loves you more than the birds and more than the lilies. And will he not much, you know, will he not provide these things for you? So that's one. And then Philippians 4, Paul says, you know, do not be anxious about anything. But he says, in everything, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And with that one, you know, we're turning from our worries, from our anxieties, and we are casting them before the Lord. And so with each of those passages, it's not a commandment that we must check off. Okay, I'm not anxious today. It's a turning our attention from our anxieties, from our cares, from the things that are burdening us and, and looking at God and just beholding him and what and who he is, right? And uh, it, it shows us that we are dependent on him. And that's what Psalm 23 does as well. So I, I want to take a deeper dive into Psalm 23 today, and, uh, and we'll do that. So Psalm 23, verse 1. A psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord, may we really grasp the amazing truths of this psalm 
this song that was written so long ago that's the most popular song of all time. And, and yet it speaks of who you are to us and, and Jesus, who you are to us. And may we grasp that this morning and may that propel us to deeper fellowship with you and deeper fellowship with each other as we hang out all weekend. In Jesus' name. So <clears throat> this psalm is so popular that you could kind of lose the imagery. Like, the Lord is my shepherd. Like, everyone on earth knows that sentence. But you got to realize that he's, in saying the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying I am a sheep, right? He's self-identifying as a dirty creature, as a oftentimes dumb, witless animal. That's what a sheep is. And even, you know, the Bible is pretty clear on what a sheep is. Like, all we like sheep have strayed off, each of us to our own thing that we want. And so, you know, of course, uh, David understands this relationship. He is a shepherd. He has sheep. He's done it his whole life. Um, So he knows how, what the protection of of a shepherd brings and what the love that a shepherd has for his sheep. But he also has to recognize that he's a sheep, that he's needy, that being a shepherd and having his own sheep doesn't grant him the right to say, oh, I'm not like, I'm not like those, those sheep. I'm not like my sheep. No, he's like, wow. It's kind of like when you have a, a dog and you're training it or a child and you're like, and you see yourself and then you're like, okay, now I get this a little bit more. He's like, oh man, I'm like, I'm like Billy. I'm like that sheep. And that's kind of embarrassing, but he he recognizes it. So he knew that he's dependent on God. And the thing about sheep and their and their neediness is that they don't grow less needy over the course of their entire life. They don't um wake up one morning and go, "I've been shepherded enough." And uh I don't need a shepherd anymore. No, it's a lifelong it's a lifelong thing, and I'm not going to bring the analogy to later because the whole shearing the sheep and eating them, that's, we don't have to go there. But the key is that, you know, if God is our shepherd, then we are his sheep. And you can't get one without the other. So unless we recognize our need for God, that is a daily thing, we cannot be in right relationship to him. And like the sheep, this continues. And like in verse 6, all of the days of my life. This is a continual thing. That we are God's sheep. That we get to walk with him our entire lives. And our dependence on him is something that he has made us for. Much like Jesus said regarding children. That unless we turn and become like children... You will never, he says, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And that's a, a dependency, that's a humility, that's a neediness that children have for their parents that we also must have for God. 
In John 10, Jesus calls himself our good shepherd. That's one of his eight I am statements where he is, he is just going ape with claiming to be God in, that, in those several chapters we talked about a few weeks ago. And that's one of them. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus knew Psalm 23. And so with Jesus as our shepherd in this psalm, we can, we can gain a lot here. So we're going to look at three, three things. We're going to look at our rest in Jesus. We're going to look at our life with Jesus. And we're going to look at our hope in Jesus. So starting here in verse 1 through 3, our rest in Jesus. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So the imagery here of rest in these opening verses, I mean, those are like the catch. Those are what get you, right? I mean, that's why everyone loves this psalm is these verses and then and then in verse 4. But that's what that's what really grabs our attention because that's what we want. We want to be beside still waters. That's like that's a sheep's dream. You know, it's <laughs> it's provision. This is a place of of knowing fully that God is your provider. So in verse 1, I shall not want This is literally, I have no lack. I lack nothing. So it's God providing what I need. This is, I don't need anything that God doesn't provide. And I'm not even noticing what I don't have. It's a a contentedness in what God is doing. And then in verse 2 and 3, these aren't only, you know, soul-restoring environments and, you know, just pictures of the perfect vacation. For a sheep, this is, this is clean water, this is grass, and this is rest. So these are, this is both physical provision as well as spiritual provision. So God is our, is our physical provider. He provides our food, our you know, he's given us the skills that we need to, to, to work. But in verse 3, he restores my soul, too. It's, and it's easy to grasp this, this uh, amazing, these amazing truths while we're here. Before we um, started, I just, I was like, I haven't beheld the, the landscape yet. You know, they built this place for, you know, pointing a certain way for a reason, right? For those of you who have the river view, I mean, you could just stand there for an hour and just, like, be restored. And I had to just get out there and be like, yeah, this is, a, this is, what, this is what we're talking about. And, but the question is, are, is my soul in an environment like this every day? like David says. And then for me, it's, it's heck no a lot of the time, you know? But 
the the amazing thing that is that in Jesus, this is in fact where we are. He says in Matthew eleven, "Come to me, all who are all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." So the moment that we place our trust in Christ, the moment that we do indeed come to him, this is where we are. We, are, we get to experience his rest. And this is where he wants us to start each day. It isn't just when we are saved. It isn't just when we first meet Christ and we fall in love with him. This is 30 years later. This is five years later that he wants us to wake up and start each day with the reality that we are at rest in him um many times when we have a vacation coming up you know say you're going on a trip for a month and you get to take work off and you know you get to take your whole family what are you doing in the month prior to that you're working your tail off you're not you know you're working overtime you are preparing after work you're getting all the itinerary going why are you doing this? <laughs> Why are you doing this to yourself? It's because when you start the vacation, you don't want to think about all those things, right? You do, it's like planning a wedding. You want to get it all, all the systems in place so that when the time comes to, for the wedding to start and for it to carry on, um, you don't want to be asked any questions. You don't want to work while you're on vacation. And, but our rest in Christ, our our rest in him does not work like that. It, it is not something we get to earn. It's not something that we get to feel like we have earned after, after accomplishing such and such or getting our, getting our brains to such and such a place. In him, we have the complete victory. And like we learn in Romans 8, we have our verdict up front. Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation, right? And it's not guilty. And that's where we start. That's just amazing. I've had the displeasure of having to be a juror on a murder trial where the verdict at the end was guilty. And it was intense. And I would never want to do that again. But in Christ, because he took our punishment, because he was proclaimed guilty, we get off. And what sweet relief it is that he bore those things, that he bore our sins and he took our punishment. And that's not just a reality for, you know, when we first get saved. That's a reality for 1040 a.m., June 4th, 2016. So when we wake up in the morning, of course, you know, there's work to be done. There's, you know, God has prepared things for us to do, but we don't do them from a place of, of, of angst and, and, you know, gritting our teeth. We do it from a place of victory. We do it from a place of rest. Um, a quick story that my old youth pastor told one time was he was, uh, he was jackhammering in his backyard and every night he would go to bed and he'd be like, oh, my mouth, sore. And he was like, 
is it from the jackhammering? Like, I know it's like a jackhammer, but should it be causing my mouth to just rank with soreness? And a couple days later, after just dealing with it, he realized, because he was more, uh, you know, introspective while he was jackhammering, that the whole time he was jackhammering, he was clenching his teeth. And he's like, wow, that's beautiful. I just got to stop clenching my teeth. You know, it's not like he's going to stop jackhammering, but there was an unneeded burden. There was an unneeded force that was being exerted on his body. And that always stuck with me as with with anxiety, with anxiousness. It's It's an unnecessary thing because of the place of rest that Jesus has brought us to. And so in verse 3, we move, we move on from this refreshing reminder of our rest into a description of the life that we live with him. So our life with Jesus, here in verse 3, he says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, so yes, you know, we have the victory in Christ because of his death, because of his resurrection. But we live in the time between. We live in the, as they say, the already but not yet phase where Jesus' kingdom has been inaugurated, but it hasn't been consummated. And so we are here. We're living, we're struggling, we're fighting, we're desiring his kingdom to be spread, but we're also being at times completely distracted by the world. And this psalm has some awesome stuff to say to us who are in this time. And it's easy to jump to verse 4, you know, straight to the valley of the shadow of death and and then to verse 5, the enemies, especially when we consider the day-to-day struggles that we face. Um, But for me, in the last few months, it's the second half of verse 3 that has just nailed me. And especially as I've entered a more formal ministry role, it's, it's been like a life preserver for me. So in verse 3, he says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So it's, of course we have to trust God through the valleys and the shadows of death and the enemies. But what about trusting him in the service that we do for him? What about trusting him in the good things, the good paths that he's, wa- that he's called us to? And for me, that has just been like so precious because not only is my standing with God, my, my justification, not only is that by grace, but so is, so is the good path that I'm walking with him. You know, the sanctification process of this life where God is making us more like Jesus, that's also by grace. And everything he calls us to in that is him. And it's only by his graceful leading. And sheep, getting back to sheep, 
They remain needy even after they've been well-rested, watered, vittled. Even after that, and they have to walk to the next pasture, the next place, even then, they, they have to walk. But it's being led. Um, there's two verses that um, Paul writes in New, the New Testament that I think exemplify this. And um, so after his conversion, after Paul was saved, you know, literally by a force of grace pushing him off his horse, after he becomes an apostle, he writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. He also writes something similar to the Philippians. He says, As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we see in both of these, we, in these verses that there's stuff to do. There's hard work to be done. But in each of them, there's a caveat that it's by grace. And it's God who's working in me to will and to do. And we can rest in that. You know, as, as devoted Christians who want to walk with Christ, we can't just take that and, and ignore him and, and run with it without being just holding his hand tight. So it's not like we're sitting around waiting for God to do stuff. Like, all right, just kind of sitting and waiting. You know, clearly there's hard, like Paul said, I worked harder than anybody. Um, but he's there the entire time. The relationship between God and you does not end when he calls you to do something. That's like, that should be when you cling the hardest. And he leads us into those things. Um, like I mentioned earlier, in Ephesians, he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And notice uh, Psalm 23, it says, for his name's sake. It is all for his name. God's glory, the name of Jesus to be glorified. And so we can also rest in that, that it's not, it's not our own thing that we're doing. We don't have to be scared and, and afraid because he's just having us do it f- for his glory. So even our service to our church, within our church body or to our neighbors, our city, all these things, we can continue to submit those things to the Lord and walk with him as we serve each other. And just keep throwing it back at him. You know, if he calls you to do something, keep keep communing and communicating with him about it. He'll keep he'll keep encouraging you. You know, whether you ignore his calling for two years before you get it 
get it started on it or you start right away it's a it's a beautiful process that he's doing in you you know it's not just for the other people you know it's he's doing it in you and like Justin said last night this transformation that he's doing in us is going to be a witness to to everyone else but in verse 4 we do walk through trial so he says you know even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me so each of us walks through trial you know it's for every person it's different you know every life is different but just like the rest and the provision of the sheep is day by day so is the walking through hardship so in land before time when little foot gets separated from his grandparents and then he has to go to find the, the green valley it's not like that um god doesn't say okay here comes hardship sprint you know get through that and i'll meet you on the other side no he's he's there the whole time he walks with us through these things He's in front of us, leading us. He's behind us, protecting us. Like uh, Psalm 139 says, he, you, he's talking of God, he says, you hem me in, behind and before. And if you're curious on how intimately God knows you, reread Psalm 139, because he knows you so closely. He knows my daughter who's, in a womb right now you know he's 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 close to her when i was a kid i used to be totally freaked out of two things two chores the first one was taking out the trash and the second one was switching the laundry at night this is at night i wasn't afraid in the daytime but the reason was because when i would take out the trash you know, the, the moment, because I had the, the, the lighted house behind me, I, I felt safe. The moment I put the trash and close the lid and turn around, there's only darkness behind me. And as a 10-year-old, I, for some reason, I just felt like, I felt like the urge to just get my body inside. And with the laundry, it was downstairs in the dark basement. And once the latch slammed, and I turned out the light, I just felt I needed to be taken up the stairs. And it was, it was a phenomenon, and it's still there a little bit, but I can, like, I can take that thought captive now. <laughs> but I was freaked out, and, but with God and, and going through trials, it is not like this. We don't feel that, we don't need to feel the need to, to, like, that's, you know, that he's not there, that something else is going to come between us. Um, he knows what's coming. He knows, he knows it. And he, he does allow it. But he also promises to be with us and to guide us through it. I had a patient on Wednesday. I work in a cancer treatment center, and it was her first treatment of breast cancer. And with a lot of breast cancers, 
the first four treatments are just brutal. Like, they kill the cancer, but they also, like, wipe you out. And, you know, nausea and just feeling terribly. And I was just talking with her. She had a bracelet. It was like a, a Catholic bracelet that had, you know, different pictures, Jesus and other folks. And <clears throat> so I was like, hey, are you, are you Catholic? And she's like, she's like, yeah. I was like, oh, cool. I'm a Christian too. And she said, and this is the first thing she said. She says, God is good all the time. And I was like, Phew. and after talking with her, of course, you know, you're going to pray for healing. You know, of course you want God to just go take that tumor and and just be done with it. But she told me that she wasn't praying for that primarily. She was praying for strength to walk through this. And that's what it is. It's a it's a long brutal walk. And it's crazy. So, but we have to remember as believers in Christ, death, it's been, the sting of death has been axed in Christ, right? I mean, Jesus' victory has taken away the sting of death, but it did not leave, or it did not take away the shadow of it. You know, there's, there's shadows of death that we walk through. But that's what it is. It's a shadow. And in Christ, death is just, I mean, death is when we get to see him. Notice in this psalm that God is doing most of the work. Right? If you read through it, God is, he's making us rest. He's leading us to provision. He's restoring our souls. He's leading us on right paths. He's with us in hardship. He's comforting us. He's preparing a table before us. He's anointing us. He's following us. And what are the sheep doing? The only active thing the sheep are doing is walking. That's it. We often want to speed things up, right? We want, we want in fear or, or just to, to remove circumstance we want it to just go faster. We want to finish. We want to get to the next stage. We want to finish this season. We'd like, um, we'd like our entire I- lives itinerary now. As a future new parent to our daughter, I want a list of everything she's going to go through. I want to know when she's going to truly trust the Lord. You know, I want to know what she's, you know, I just want to know all that. But we don't get it, right? God won't tell us more than we need to know to take the next step. Chris Rep is one of our missionaries, and she's in Cuba right now. And so actually, I'd just like to ask us all to pray for her today and tomorrow because um, she wanted prayer for protection and, and leading to uh, be able to encourage the church down there. Oh, forget it. We just got to pray right now, right? Lord, I pray for Chris, Rep, and her team. I pray that you would protect them. Um, thank you for getting them down there. I know that they were heading down a couple days ago. I pray that you would lead them and guide them and give them uh, peace as well as connections with your body down there. pray that 
they would just be a great encouragement to them and you bring them home safely in Jesus' name. So she encouraged me last Sunday. She's like, don't steal tomorrow. You don't have the strength for tomorrow yet. When tomorrow comes, he will be there. He's not there yet. A lot of times we're there, but he's not there yet. He'll be there when the time comes with you. At the end of Jesus' discussion on anxiety in Matthew 6, he says, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Man, it's easier said than done. But but that's what he wants us to do. And it's not like he's asking us to do more things. He's asking us to do less, right, with our brains and with our our busyness. Here in verse um, 4 and 5, you know, he mentions two realities of our life. He says, valleys and enemies. You're going to face them. It's just a fact. But he illustrates God's role in each instance. So for the valley, you know, he is with us. His presence is there. His guidance is there. And his comfort is there. That's all you need. In enemies, here in verse 5, he removes their authority and power. So he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What the heck? And it's, it's like in the midst of battle. And he's sort of switching from a sheep metaphor at this point because sheep don't eat at a table. Um, <laughs> but he's switching it to like a kingly host. Imagine how soldiers in the midst of battle have to eat. You know, they have the weird crackers that, that get them through. They've got the weird juice. It's just to get them through. It's not to enjoy it. It's not to, you know, be at peace. You got to get it down and get back to battle. It's, but with the Lord, he's spreading a feast before us in the presence of our enemies. It's more like the feast that Denethor eats while Pippin is singing him a song than the nasty soup that Eowyn offers Aragorn and he has to reject. But it's like meats and berries and tomatoes that burst on your face and it's a feast. So <laughs> who might these enemies be? You know, we're not talking typically about physical enemies where we're going to do battle, active battle. We're talking about spiritual enemies. We're talking about enemies that God wants to remove authority and power from in our lives. Um, in Ephesians six twelve, Paul says, we do not do battle against flesh and blood, but against, and I'm paraphrasing, the spiritual forces of evil the rulers, the principalities of darkness. Whoa. But how do these forces, how, I mean, how do these forces of evil do battle against us? We find in the uh, Scroop Tape letters that it's often our own sins. I mean, Scroop Tape letters isn't a book of the Bible, but I think C.S. Lewis is getting at something when, you know, he 
a, a bigger demon is is counseling a younger demon to just use the man's sin against him or just look at his pride and go, yeah, that's good. Keep that up. You know, he's not revealing himself as the the prince of darkness in your life, right? He's He's using bitterness. He's using pride. He's using anxiousness. He's using addiction. He's using anger and anything else. He's using those things to do battle. And we're we're vulnerable. So how does God want to remove the authority and power from these enemies? Well, kind of jumping off last night, um, in my life and in dealing with my own anxiousness, confession has been used by God the most as a tool to do battle against these sorts of enemies. I've found that confession can strip the rug right out from anxiety. It, <clears throat> it reminds us that we're not alone, right? That the Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation, but within a community of faith. The crazy thing is that I can credit my struggle with anxiety basically with leading me to Jesus because I'm more of an older brother guy. Even though I'm the youngest, I learned, I learned over the years not to do the outward sins that my oldest siblings did because, well, one, they don't work. They don't fulfill. They get you in a big trouble. Um, but two, they make you look stupid and, you know, doing the, the drugs, the sex, the women, the, the stuff that are typical of the younger brother, of, of the rebellion. I learned not to do those things. <clears throat> but it was, a di- it was a more difficult struggle against being prone to pride and anxiety. Pride that I wasn't doing those things, anxiety that I still didn't feel like I was good enough. And so a few years ago, a, a really um, just wonderful mentor was talking to me, and I was sharing with him some some things I was struggling with, and he said, dude, just embrace it, man. Anxiety is leading you to Jesus. That's great. You know, that's awesome. I mean, you know, it's not embracing your anxiety like, good, I'm, I can only know Jesus if I'm anxious. But that's what told me I needed him. That's, that's where I found my brokenness. And that's, you know, that's where we all need to be in whatever we're, we're struggling with, is finding our need for him. And, you know, there are times when you're not as ashamed of what you're confessing or even of what you're anxious about. Like if I were to tell you guys, yeah, I'm a nurse. Um, yeah, I perform life-saving and, and life thing, operate, you know, procedures. I'm really anxious about it. I just want to do a good job. You're like, good. <laughs> like, stay anxious. Like, stay anal. That's good. Or like, you know, I'm about to have a daughter. I want to be a good father. Like, I'm just really like hoping I can do it. Like, That makes sense. Like, you should be. <laughs> That's freaky. You know, but there's other things that we're that we get that we grab a hold of in our anxiousness that aren't as obvious and that are even 
even would snap, you know, slap our pride and our our reputation. Um, you know, I've been dating a person for four years, and I'm still not sure if I want to marry them, or I'm struggling with whether I'm called to be a pastor or not. Um, I used to think and live like this was okay, and now I'm convicted about it. But I'm going to look weird for being like, oh, this is wrong now for me. Like, just things that that you're kind of scared to share, right? And, of course, there's millions more. Um, but to not share things, to not be known, is to retain those things, authority and power over us. And... A lot of times you have to pursue that. You have to be actively pursuing the opportunity to share. There's not enough, you know, Cindy's in the world who are going to ask you the exact right question that gets you. And so you're like, you know, sometimes you have to do it. You have to seek an opportunity to share it. And I was going to share right now that, you know, this should be in the context of of trusted friendship, which in many cases it should. But after last night, I think it's more that if it testifies to the grace of God in your life, you might share it. And even though, like, especially with a coworker or someone who's not a Christian, you might feel like, oh, I'm going to lose, like, I'm going to lose my witness like that's not that's not what we got last night right i mean it was the divulging of uh, their practices in front of the world that that prevailed the word and i need to challenge myself that you know to be like a little bit more willing to to open that up and share and in many cases as we as we get wrapped up here, those enemies will remain and still be present even at the end of our lives. You know, there's there's lifelong struggles of, you know, depression or anxiousness or, you know, there just is. <laughs> We've seen it. But Jesus has the ability to weaken their power. They'll still be present but their power is weakened. And then look at the end of verse 5. He says, You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. He refreshes us for battle, even in the midst of our enemies. He fills us afresh with his Holy Spirit. Right? That The Holy Spirit is, is what we've been given to live this life. In some crazy way, it's better that Jesus is not physically here right now. He said that. He said, it's better that I go away so that I can send a helper. May we truly experience the Holy Spirit and the helper and, and the trust of walking with him. And David's response is to say, my cup overflows. Can we look around at our life and say, and say that and say confidently, my cup overflows, not my plate overflows, because I, I could say that a lot, because I overflow my plate literally and spiritually 
all the time. But my cup overflows. A contentment. Like the author of the hymn, who had just lost his entire family, said, it is well with my soul. Can we say that even now? David's line of thought here leads us into verse 6. Experiencing the joys of the goodness of God all the way to eternity. He says, and we're going to talk about our hope here in the end. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So it's, it's he's experiencing God his whole life, and then he, he's with him forever. It's a continuation. This life is a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute minute walk with Jesus Excuse me. until that day comes. This is all the days. He says, all the days of my life, every day, Mondays. If you were to point something out as having followed you your entire life, what would it be? Would it be like discouragement? Would it be failure? Relational strife? Indecision? Even suffering? When we are communing with God every day, his goodness is what follows us. And his mercy follows us because in getting to know him more and more every day, we are discovering more ways in which we need his mercy. Right? He's, he's continually displaying and, and showing us parts of ourselves that are not like him and that he wants to, he wants to tackle, he wants to fill so we find ourselves here in this life living between, you know, the truth of our rest in Christ, of th- that everything has been forgiven, and our dwelling with him forever. And Jesus said he's going to go prepare a place for us. So this is a, tr- this is a sure thing, that when, where he is, we're going to be at some point. And he said there's tons of room, right? He said, oh, there's many rooms in my father's house. So... Invite anyone you want. Paul describes the hope of eternity um, really simply, and I, I love it. He says, and so we will always be with the Lord. Just a simple fact. And so Psalm 23 has encouraged us that in Jesus first we rest, that every debt has been paid, that we have nothing else to do in order to earn God's favor that we can rest. And if we can rest, and if we need to rest, then we can invite others to rest. We don't invite others to join in our list-making and our check boxes. We invite them to join in the rest that we have in Christ. And then we walk, step-by-step, entrusting to him our service, our suffering, and our struggles. But we are rooted in hope of his return and of our dwelling, our living with him, our, our spending time with him, hanging, communing with him forever. So let's, let's dwell on that today as we are in the most, one of the most beautiful places in this state, at least, if not in the world, and enjoy that. Let's pray.
God, thank you that you are the God of the that the rebellious that take that take many many forms that take the form of pride. We take the form of of sin, of rebellion, but you are the God who reaches each person and offers us rest from our our striving of our from our sin, rest from our from our own ego. And uh we're so thankful for that and and we just want to we want to embrace that, Lord, and we want you to fill us fresh with your spirit today. Lord, help us to to take these truths inside and let them flow right out. And along with it, being open with each other, Lord, being, allowing you to work through our church and hoping in you for eternity. We give these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.